This is the Mouths of the South podcast. You shut your mouth when you're talking to me. The official Dirty South Soccer podcast. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Talking all things Atlanta United FC. Don't nobody understand the words that are coming out of your mouth, man. We are the Mouths of the South. The South got something to say. That's all I got to say. What's up, Atlanta? This is the Mouth of the South podcast brought to you by Dirty South Soccer in our respective homes. Josh Bagrianski, Sam Franco, I'm Eric Quintana, not the Palatial Studios tonight, but we are uh, bringing you the podcast nonetheless from uh, my apartment, I think Sam's apartment, and Josh's house. Yes. yes. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Hanging out in our respective domicile, it appears, and uh, I do miss the studio. It, you know, it's not the same seeing your beautiful faces up close, but got to do what you got to do right now. Yeah, you know, Josh is absolutely right, and regardless of where you are, it's always good to poke fun at Orlando for losing and keeping their trophy cabinet still in. No, they won that one preseason tournament. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't count. I was truly, I was truly mixed on how I wanted this the last night to go down because I really wanted the the side by side comparisons of of Orlando lifting two trophies uh, to no fans or to practically no fans. (laughs) One in a preseason tournament and one in this tournament, which, look, it's it's easy to talk about how this tournament really means nothing after the fact, after Atlanta you know, had its horrific showing in this tournament, but I don't, I would not have looked at this tournament. I would, I would have put this under Campionas Cup. I think most people would have put this under a, a thing like Campionas Cup because it just doesn't mean much when two teams from your league don't participate in the tournament. I can't really take it too seriously when that happens. I mean, it's no fault of theirs. It's, you know, you're, you're, we're in the midst of a global pandemic and everything. But still, you know, at some point, you got to look at this tournament. You got to be like, okay, well, I mean, it was a tournament that we put together for the for, for the sake of the fans and for the sake of the sponsorship dollars and all that stuff. So we put something together for for that. But what does it actually mean at the end of the day? I don't think that – I'm fairly confident Portland would rather have uh, an MLS Cup trophy than oh, of course. MLS back. Yeah, but, absolutely. But I still think in the end, I think the tournament was a great success. And I thought if you watched the, uh, watch that final, it clearly meant, uh, a, a, you know, like you said, Eric, it's not MLS Cup. But, I mean, it was clear that there was yeah. silverware on the line in a, in a CONCACAF Champions League. But- let me be clear. It's not that it's not that I don't think it was a success. I just it doesn't mean much, at least to me. Even had had Atlanta that had gone through one. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, think, think, I still think the, the tournament was fine. The tournament was successful because it got through the whole thing and not a lot of COVID, or no COVID cases and I don't know how like a month or a half or whatever it was. So that that part of it, it showed that MLS could come into a, a situation like like Orlando, create a bubble for its players, and put this tournament together um, amidst everything that's going on. But that wasn't an important final. You could have fooled me because you had referees watching a guy get kicked in the face and only <laughs> giving the offender a yellow card. So that looked like a final to me, just like any other final. We see these referees do a horrible job. So they're I, I think it seriously. Considering the circumstances, you know, I think MLS did about as good a job as, as they could have. You know, one thing that Probably I think... Probably better. Yeah, maybe even better. I mean, it's difficult for them to be the first... You know, they were kind of the guinea pigs for this bubble experiment. And uh, it got off to a bit of a run. I thought in the end, you know, that not only did they clean things up inside the bubble, but also I did think the quality of play was enough 
from a viewing standpoint where, uh, and the, it seemed to mean enough to the players where, they, you know, I think that all things considered, they did a good job. Eric's right. I mean, in the end, obviously you're not able to reduplicate even, even I think a regular season uh, kind of intensity throughout the tournament. But in the end, I, I, you know, I think considering the circumstances, they did all they could. And uh, you know, with everything that happened with Atlanta, it was nice to see Orlando lose. And I thought the craziest part of that was, I don't know if you saw the Justin Miram situation no, yes. on Twitter, dunking <laughs> on Orlando City. And then uh, one of the Orlando City uh, comms guys. Uh, He's I their VP like, of comms. The like, this isn't like just some like little low-level guy. This is their VP <laughs> of comms. He called him a loser in response in the replies. Calls him it a was loser. some typical, like, this is a Brazilian guy, by the way, and it's just some typical, <laughs> like, over-the-top romanticizing of soccer. He's like, you, the, the game of soccer left you behind or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, what is wrong with this guy? Yeah, he's like, so, a, you're a loser. It's like, dude, you're a club executive, a club official calling an MLS player a loser. That's the most yeah. Orlando thing I've ever seen. Yeah, that was the big moment for me was seeing that on Twitter. I mean, that was that was, that was was fantastic to watch. But also on Twitter, while you're on that, it's like, I'm sure you've gotten some of this in y'all's mentions as well. But, like, I tweeted some things about Orlando, you know, losing just in jest. And, like, of course, Orlando City fans, because they'll find you. They, they, they will, like, find <laughs> they found your me. tweets. They found yeah, me. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They'll just find your tweets. I don't know any of these people, but they find your tweets, and they, they reply the exact same thing every time. Zero goals scored. Duh. We know Atlanta didn't score any yeah. goals. But you yeah. know what? Y'all actually tried, got to the final, and lost. So that's <laughs> even worse because your trophy cabinet is still empty. You've still never made any playoff appearances. So it's like all of these things that Atlanta United fans can hold over Orlando, and they have the one thing, oh, Atlanta United didn't score any goals in this tournament. Well, yeah, duh. Like, we don't yeah. need you to rub that in. It's like, yeah, two, both it's, things can be true. Exactly. The heartbreak is there for Orlando, though. Yeah. Atlanta United fans got what a lot of us wanted and yeah. the manager getting replaced. So, although, I mean, ultimately, it was a good outcome for a lot of Atlanta United fans. Yeah. Although, I think on the, on the more, you know, uh, in terms of what we actually saw in the field, I do think in terms of the teams that you think really differently about heading into the rest of the season and playoffs, I think. Orlando, definitely one of them. I mean, under Oscar Pereja, I thought. he's playing really, like, to the role and to the level that I think that they thought he would play to when they bought yeah. him. And he's been a good player for them. He's, it's not like he's been a retiree-type player who doesn't care about the league. He's come and he's played really well, and he played really well in this tournament. So, yeah. uh, I, I'm with you, Josh. I, you know, as much as we make fun of Orlando, they look like a team that might be, you know, for real. This might have brought them together and actually made them Absolutely. a meshing does appear under Oscar Pereira there does seem to be a tactical solidity that we have maybe not seen in their entire existence uh, on a consistent basis so I mean obviously everyone's making the playoffs this year so even if you know so they'll probably make <laughs> but they it, still don't have any trophies yeah well, well, yeah Ahead, well, look, the, the the big test is when Atlanta United plays Orlando City um, on the 29th. That's yeah, we got two, games two weeks coming up. Two weeks from today. So look, that that as much as we want to kind of rub it in Orlando's face right now, we got to make sure that uh, we're not rubbing it too hard. And ultimately, because look, this will be the first win for Orlando City. They still haven't won against Atlanta United. Oh yeah, that too. It'd be it'd be nice to keep that going. Uh, but they are obviously playing better than Atlanta United right now. Although you could make the argument that Atlanta United didn't really have the, the right tools to, to, to play it's at its best. And hopefully now that Steven Glass is in, now that they can play guys like Jurgen uh, Dam and um, uh, Eric Lopez and, and Kubo Torres, Kubo. And maybe that kind of fixes some of the issues that Atlanta United have. Maybe there's a, a 
you know, there's a, there's a basically flipping the switch, uh, that, that mental switch of, well, we're going to be defensive first to just go out. I don't, I don't see them being all out attack, like say a San Jose, but I do, I do think, I think it's obvious that Atlanta is going to switch from this defensive mindset to, all right, well, let's push, let's push, let's push. Let's try to create turnovers in the, in the defensive there in the, uh, in the attacking third for us. And let's try to create some chances that maybe we haven't created in a while for ourselves. Maybe look more like 2017, 2018 Atlanta United, as opposed to whatever this tournament Atlanta, Atlanta United was. So it, it, it'll be good to see how the new guys, uh, you know, kind of mesh into the, into this, whatever this new systems, whether, whatever this new look ends up being. Uh, but I think those are good pieces uh, to add to a you know this mental switch that it looks like Atlanta United, at least and, the front office, Stephen Glass, they want to do. And if you look at the opponents coming up, I mean, I think you have a decent chance to to make that mental switch and gain some confidence against teams. You know, like you said, Eric, if 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 you want to go all out attack, or not all out attack, but you want to play with a little bit more freedom, you, the teams you're playing when you come back, you go Nashville, Inter Miami, Orlando. You know three teams that have really struggled when you, when you come back to play. So I think in terms of getting that confidence back, you do have the opposition that you can go out there and maybe play with some freedom, but I'm interested to see what Steven glass does with the team tactically. I mean, I think, I don't think that, you know, the team is in a place where you have to make some major shifts to the system. Uh, I don't think he will do that, but I, we would hope to see them to your point, Eric, playing with a little bit more freedom fluidity because that team in Orlando just looked like a team that you know was was uh was beaten down and didn't understand what 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 they needed to do uh so certainly I mean if if that's the the message from Glass and I think when you consider the role that he's in I think that's probably the easiest message to say is just you know go out there and enjoy yourself a little bit um you certainly the teams that are coming up are teams that you can afford to maybe go a little more on the attacking side and not be exposed at the back. So it's, it's going to be interesting. Here's the best part about glass for me. It's the fact that he's coming in here with like no ego. You know, this is a guy who, this is his first crack at an MLS, you know, first team job. So you think it's going to be all about the tactics, all about the game plan, all about that. And like Frank, the a guy who obviously has, has managed and played at some of the bigger clubs, and, and, you know, stubbornness and ego would get in the way a little bit at times of the actual on-field progress of the team. Not going to see that, I think, from Stephen Glass. So I think that's a, a, a good sign that Atlanta United will kind of get back to ba- basics and, and just focus on, you know, all the stuff that needs to be done to improve this team on the field. Yeah. And, and with the additions of, of Dom, uh, you know, Lopez, Torres, I think that this team at least is going to pick things up from a depth perspective. And when certain players are struggling, they'll have more players to cycle in as opposed to just kind of throwing the same guys back out there and not getting the results. He's playing with – or he's, he's coaching and managing with no ego, and, and there's really no expectation that he's going to get the job anyway. So right. he can go in there with this yeah. – with this. Darren Hill said he's not pretty much. Exactly. Right? So and, yeah. there's no expectation that he really needs to worry about, uh, uh, you know, showing out or, you know, putting a stamp on things. He can just go out there and coach and – and, and let these guys kind of run free, and knowing that no matter what, he's still going to have his job at Atlanta United too whenever um, Atlanta United kind of comes around and, and, and hires someone uh, for, for Atlanta United. Um, it gives them the opportunity to just – it gives the, really the players the best opportunity to just go out and play, not worry about having to appease a manager right away, not, worrying, have, uh, not having to worry about that transition. And if you can't kind of cater to – I'm not going to say – well, yeah, let's say it. 
if you cater to the way that your players play as opposed to trying to fix the system around uh, what you want the players to do, then you would think theoretically that guys like Pity, guys like Barco would find a way to, uh, you know, to, to, to open up their game a little bit, to find their form, to be able to be a little more creative, to, to look better and, and not just better, but happier playing the sport. Cause right now, both those guys look kind of miserable. A lot of the team looks kind of miserable. I think you'd expect, uh, Jurgen Dam to, to to play on that right side. You expect you expect Kubo Torres to kind of play the, the Joseph Martinez role, um, not to be a like like replacement, obviously, but just at least to fill his shoes for now. Um, who else am I missing? Eric Lopez. I really don't know. I really don't know where he fits at the moment because if you got Kubo Torres, you got to think that he's going to make the he's going to be the the guy that's in there first. I would expect a guy like Eric Lopez to maybe come off the bench at some point. Yeah, and I. Uh... <sighs> It's tough, though. You know, I think I'm interested to see when the team comes back. I mean, like, obviously it was a team that just was, was playing below what they were, uh, below what they were in Orlando. It's still a team with a lot of holes personnel-wise. So, while I do think we'll see some improvement, it'll be interesting to see if that improvement is to what you said, Eric, that kind of 2018 Atlanta United. Certainly we saw it maybe for small portions in 2019. Or if you're just going to see maybe a team playing with a bit more freedom, but just doesn't have the personnel to get it done. But at the same time, I think the approach that you're going to get from Steven Glass is exactly what you need to turn things around in the short term. Because even if you do, even if a new manager did come in, or even if Steven Glass had a chance to be appointed the full-time manager, you don't have time to come in and implement a new system and a new culture. You kind of have to try to hit the ground running. So, I mean, I, I think that you will see almost, uh, that I, I don't want to call it a hands-off approach, Eric, but but I, I do think you'll see the hopefully we'll see the players turn loose a little bit uh, because I think that's your chance for success for Atlanta United. It's not going to be uh, figuring out a way of playing, you know, with him having three weeks or a month or whatever to to, to coach these guys. It's going to be your players on the field winning games for you, and you do have that ability in attack with a PT and a Barco where you have creative, talented players that, you know, they can make things happen. And now that you have a upgrade at the nine, uh, number nine with, with Torres, maybe you can make some things happen. But I still think when you look at the center of midfield, you know, if we go back to front, I think maybe you fix some issues with Torres coming in. You're going to be able to score more goals now that you have an out-and-out out nine to kind of play with, with PT and on. Barco. You're good we're in the back, able, but that midfield to, is a problem. We're going to be able to score goals. <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe. I don't hopefully. Know. Maybe, yeah, hopefully. Maybe. Yeah, let's maybe. Score a goal would be nice. Yeah. But that was so clearly lacking at MLS's back, right? I mean, it was even when you're in control of games, the ball, it, it just the ball would stop with PT and Barco basically looking for someone to distribute the ball to because yeah. that's what they do. And there was nobody really there. So I think just having a player, even though Kubo Torres maybe not a, you know, a, a world beater in MLS, just to have – the ball up there and, and apply the finishing touch that'll be very important and help Ezekiel Barco and uh and PT Martinez kind of into their comfort zone and attack as well I'll say one thing about Kubo though like you know listening to the quotes from him I, I was uh, following along on uh, our guy Felipe Cardenas's like Twitter feed with uh, some of the, the things that he was saying and he's kind of using this as a as a kind of not a you know last gasp or whatever but as a big opportunity to kind of resurrect his career mm -hmm. if you will you know and try because look if Joseph Martinez can do it, then, you know, the right player in the right positions can score goals for this team. That's not a question. And I think 
his ambition, and he's even talking about maybe if he plays well enough, trying to get into Tata Martino's uh, good graces and maybe get Mexico call-ups in the future. Whether that happens or not is to be seen, but the ambition is there, and that is a good sign. That's a guy who wants to come in, wants to play well, wants to score goals, and sees the opportunity. And he's going to have chances to score. I mean, again, you know, I look back to that New York Red Bulls game and MLS's back tournament. If you have an out-and-out nine instead of Manuel Castro playing up front, you've probably got two or three goals in that game. And there were some other moments when you looked back through the tournament where, you know, even though what the team was clearly not firing on all cylinders intact, just not having – uh, just not having a guy that's a threat to score goals up there is a problem. So if, if, if he comes in motivated, that's a good thing. But even better, he's going to have two players in PT Martinez and Ezekiel Barco playing behind him who who are there to provide service to, to the striker, and that's what they like to do as opposed to maybe scoring goals themselves. So it's a good opportunity for him to come into and try to resurrect his career. And <laughs> like you guys said, I mean, some goals would be nice. And also I think when you look at the back line, I think the defense is probably the strength of this team right now. So, if you know, even though you've got that hole in the middle, if you can start bagging some goals up front and get strong performances from your back line, I think you're still a threat in, in a playoff situation at, at season's end where, you know, it's single elimination and anything can happen. Someone that's scoring off the pitch, Lucid FC, sponsoring the Mouths of the South podcast. Lucid FC, a distinctively modern clothing line based right here in Atlanta, reflects a deeply British-American heritage design approach to clothing, promotes freedom of fashion, gender, and role. The brand's iconic logo immediately recognizable. recognizable. Uh, check out their masks. Those masks with that logo look really, really good. Um, I also some. make pants, outerwear, hats, shirts, hoodies. Um, big fan of the hats, big fan of the hoodies. Ask me what, Lucid, or <laughs> ask me what the FC and Lucid FC stands for, boys. What does footwear and clothing. Does? Footwear, oh. not fast enough. Footwear and clothing. Wow, you always screw that part up. <laughs> Perfect Every match. Week he screws that part up. Perfect match for all football fans. Uh, go check out their website, lucidfc.us. Uh, I'm I'm seeing a lot of celebrities on their on their Snapchat, on their uh, Instagram story. So make sure you're checking them out. And uh, again, visit them at lucidfc.us. All right, looking at uh, what Atlanta United's got coming up. Uh, they play Nashville here up first on the 22nd. That's at 7 o'clock on Saturday. Nashville's playing right now, by the way. They're playing as right now against Dallas. Yes. Yep, I'm watching a little bit of that as we speak. Uh, but look, this is a good match. If you're, if you're talking about trying to get these guys' confidence level up, this is a good match to, to have first, I guess, in this, in this whatever that we're calling this season. I guess the regular season. Um, they still – I mean, look, they haven't been playing for like five months, and they don't look great 20 minutes into this match. So it's, it's, it's a good opportunity for Atlanta United, for some of these new faces, for Steven Glass, for you know guys like Pity and Barco to kind of find their feet, find their form. Um, look, as bad as they've looked, I, I hate saying this, but it should be a win. It should be a performance that you can kind of build off of uh, for the, at least a good, good, good match to start the season with. Um, how you build after that is, is completely up to the players, completely up to the coach. But it's a good matchup at first because of just how long it's been since Nashville has played, and they're just not that great as it is. But then again, neither is Atlanta United. So it, it, I, I still – it's a different kind of proof now, but I need to prove that, that guys like Pity, guys like Barco are in it this season because as of now, I'm not convinced that they're in it. I hope that they look at this as a second opportunity to kind of – um, you know, revamp or, or, or rescue whatever they can out of the season, which they have, it's 18 matches over the course of, uh, I don't even know how many months, but there's more than enough time for them to take, 
to turn around the 2020 season, uh, not just for their careers after Atlanta United, but for Atlanta United as a whole this year. What do you guys think needs to change first and foremost? I mean, you have to identify. I mean, I, the, what what problem would you identify from the players that we saw in Orlando that needs to change in order to regain that confidence? All those things that y'all are talking. There about? There was zero cohesion in the midfield. It, it seemed like yeah. It seemed like Frank DeBoer had no idea what to what to put in the midfield. I, I'm surprised we didn't see more Joseto. Um, I, 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 it was like playing musical. It was like, it was like he was just kind of getting everyone as much playing time as they could. It, it was almost like a preseason tournament in which you didn't really worry about, uh, uh, who you were putting where it, it just seemed like, okay, we're going to run these guys out just to get their legs fresh, get their legs under them, get, get some, uh, get some actual playing time, some actual game experience under them because I just didn't seem like there was consistency in the midfield. I, I, for whatever reason, I expect Joseto to be at kind of at the top of that midfield, Heinen in there, either Lorenowitz or Remedi. I don't really care which one at this point, just one or the other, not both. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it did, go ahead. Sorry. It did look, it did look like that. I mean, I, I thought, uh, you know, it, it almost looked like there was just a rotation in there as yeah. if, like you were saying. And, but, but I thought that was more of uh, a, and we went on and on about how two midfielders, two center mids was unrealistic. But aside from that, I thought the rotation showed that Frank DeBoer doesn't know who his best options are. And I think if you look at that, that group of center mids, it's really unclear, right? I mean, you ha- like you mentioned, Oseto, you haven't seen him at all. I think Emerson Hyman is the one you can count on. But Jeff Lorenowitz, you know, obviously much older, can only play so many minutes at a time. Eric Rometty is up and down. Mo Adams had a horror show at the tournament. You know, so I, I think you don't even – first of all, you don't have a great collection of midfielders there, I don't think. But you- – you certainly don't even know who your best two or three are aside from Emerson Heidman. I think that if this team is going to get any type of balance at all, they're going to have to make moves in the transfer market. And obviously you're encouraged by that Jonathan Gonzalez rumor a couple of weeks ago, but there's been nothing since. Uh, so I, you know, if, if the team is really going to get, I totally agree with you, Eric. I think if the team is going to look the way we want them to look, you're, you're going to have to find some semblance of balance through the middle of the park. And that's just not there right now. And it's a personnel thing. I mean, I just don't think you have the players to do it. You know, Josh, you ask, like, what needs to change? And this is going to sound like an oversimplification, but, you know, Atlanta United's top players need to play better. I mean, you look at the way that Ezekiel Barco and Pitti Martinez played in Orlando, and those are the two guys, especially with Joseph Martinez right now, those are the guys that are going to create your offense. You know, they're the guys that are going to get the ball forward and and try to find – uh, whether it's Kubo Torres or whoever, somebody up there to score these goals. And I know that they need to take some of the onus on themselves and score too. But, yeah, Atlanta United's guys need to play better. That That is the bottom line here. And I, I think that, you know, Ezekiel Barco is a guy who has, has had a career for Atlanta United that's been up and down. And when it's up, it's really, really good. But, unfortunately, it's it's down right now, and it was down in Orlando. And it's one of those things where – you don't want that to creep into the rest of the team because if, and I think that's what happened at Orlando. It's like, well, if these guys aren't playing good, then we're kind of screwed. And then everybody else sort of, you know, falls into some, some bad habits and things like that. And it kind of looked like, honestly, you could probably count them on one hand, the players that you would say even had like, okay tournaments uh, down in Orlando. So yeah, not many. Um, I would, yeah, exactly. So they need the, the, the guys, the main guys, Marco PT. Uh, they need to play better. And I would also say that they also need to figure out chemistry with, with Dom, with Torres, very, very quickly. Yeah, it's almost like – I mean, it's a tough one, right? Because I, I think that 
obviously Barco and PT were, were not good enough uh, in Orlando. And, you know, obviously, uh, as we've mentioned a bunch of times, you know, you want to see them playing more freely and whatnot. But at the same time, I think when this team struggles, you're seeing those guys have to come deep, back deep to get the ball. And they're not in those positions to do the things they want in the final third. And I think a lot of that stems from not having the center midfield to kind of build, build out, push the team forward and then provide service to Barco and PT where they can and then maybe provide that service for the forward. So you're, there's just that lack of connection from defense to attack because you just didn't have, whether just a personnel thing or a system thing, you just didn't have the midfield to connect the ball from back. Front. And so you end up with Barco, but in particular, PT Martinez coming way, way back into the midfield to try to drive the team forward because those center mids are unable to do that. So it's kind of a combination of the two things, right, that we're going to have to see. On the one hand, I mean, it's simple as that. Your best attacking players have to play. But certainly it w- you need them not just playing better, but also playing in the right positions on the field where they can be impactful. And so much of that is them getting service out of the midfield so then you can continue to push the team forward. And certainly that's not something we saw in Orlando. That's something Stephen Glass can change, you know, uh, in terms of just adding a third center midfielder to the formation. And then it's easier to build out, uh, build out of the back. But I still have worries just personnel wise about that group of players. And I don't know that it was Frank DeBoer treating it as a preseason tournament with rotating those guys as much as it was. He just didn't know who to play there. And that's something that Stephen Glass is going to have to figure out whether he plays with two or three center mids. He's got to find out who his best ones are and what roles they fit into. Cause if you're not getting good performance from the guys in the middle, it really doesn't matter what Barco and PT do because in the end they're going to be happy to come back so deep to get the ball to drive the team forward that they're not going to have the effect they want to have in terms of creating and scoring goals. I think that uh, at least on paper, what I think is the obvious setup for this team is you got your typical back line, however, how, whatever it's been so far. Um, and do you go three or four in the back here? I, I, it just depends on how you use um, Jurgen Dam, because I, I I feel like he could be the the not the missing key or anything like that or missing link or anything like that, but he could be an outlet for some of these midfielders for for guys like Pity for guys like Barco who who don't really have a, a really anyone to go to. And I think it's clogged uh, just the way that some of the some of the wingers have played it's it yeah. provided enough. So it clogs everything in the midfield. So guys like Heinemann, guys like Joseto, guys like uh, Lorena was whatever, they can't do anything. They can't, they can't maneuver themselves in the middle because it's just, it's just so much traffic. Well, Jurgen Dam is, is a player that is going to be at least on paper, based on what I've seen the highlights and stuff like that, kind of a step up from Tito and what he can do with the ball. Oh, a step team. up. Oh, wow. oh for sure. Yeah, yeah, there. Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. Uh, a step okay. up from Tito in the sense that, you know, he's a guy that can probably do a little bit more with the ball at his feet, and he's probably a little bit faster, or at least just as fast. Um, and that is going to create some kind of danger for their opponents. You add to the fact that you've got a, a, a legit forward at center, at, uh, center forward, um, and anyone else you bring in that might happen to, to be an upgrade at, at different positions – I think then you're starting to free up space in the midfield, especially again, especially you're going to, I think it's going to be the key, but it's still yet to be seen if he can, you know, if he can be uh, consistent because I mean, that was the one thing I had, the one criticism I had about uh, uh, Vijalba is that his consistency just wasn't there. It's the same criticism I have about Pity and Barco. Um, but I do think that allowing Atlanta United players, if, if the idea is just allow them to kind of push forward and be more attacking, 
um, then I think a guy like Jurgen is going to be a great addition and an outlet for guys like Pity, who then can force the defenders back, assuming that th- think of think of Jurgen as a, a kind of like a what what Gressel would do oftentimes, where he'd find himself in space on the right side, push the back line midfielders into the defend defensive third and into the box, and then you'd find players like pity um and barco outside the box ready to kind of like pounce on any opportunity that might come their way on a cross or 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 working the ball back around um i think you're gonna could be a, a lot could provide a lot of that kind of service if not crossing in general the, um, the, the big part is pace though man i, I mean i and his crossing oh, is sure. one thing that but i think it's pace is really you know you mentioned the the attack getting clogged it's crazy to watch a team in Atlanta that has a front three with you know PT Barco and whoever that striker was, you didn't have a none of those guys are running in behind the defense, right? None of them. So it becomes very easy to defend because you can just kind of clog the middle, make it compact, you know, not give guys time on the ball because you know no that there, that Atlanta's not a threat to go over the top, right? So you have a player like Jurgen Dam who can just stretch teams a little bit, be that threat to get in over the top, get into space. And that's when you open up more space in the middle for Barco PT over to work in. And, he, you know, I don't know that I'd agree. I mean, of course, Eric thinks he's a better upgrade from T, of course. <laughs> but, uh, but the point that Eric brings up that's important is just having a pacey attacker in general is not something that the team had on the – incredibly didn't have on the roster. And now just having a player like that in theory should open up so much play for others just because he's a threat to get in behind the defense that changes the way that teams have to defend Atlanta United. All right. So looking at the schedule for Atlanta United, you've got, uh, you've got them facing Nashville on Saturday, um, the 22nd at seven o'clock. You've got Miami. you go going to Miami to play inter Miami um, four days later on the 26th. That's at eight o'clock. And then on the 29th, Orlando city, those are the next three games for Atlanta United. And then you got inter Miami, Orlando city again, and then Nashville. Um, it's a considering I, I think it's a tough group for Atlanta, but it's um, it's certainly manageable. I, I just I, the, I think the one thing the one kind of I guess coin flip was Orlando City. Can they keep up the way they've been playing throughout the course of the next two or three weeks? If there's one thing that they haven't really shown is that they can be consistent. They can win consistently and they can uh, put performances back to back. Now they did this in this tournament, uh, but there were times where they could have gotten knocked out of this tournament. So it's yeah. not like they're, 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 you know, infallible in any mean, by any means. It's a fascinating group because I mean, certainly it's the three opponents you, you look at and it's, they're not some that really strike fear into you. But if you look at the four teams, I mean, they all, they all are a unique situation, right? I mean, inter Miami is similar to Atlanta, I think coming out of that tournament, they didn't yeah. fire their manager, obviously, but in terms of, you know, we got it. We got to get it. Yeah, they looked really bad. Uh, did they score? I think they maybe scored one goal. They or two did. Goals. They did. Yeah. yeah. So they, so they, you know, they're similar to Atlanta, where they, where they're saying we got to play a lot better than this. Uh, Orlando is kind of the other way, where you know, as we discussed earlier, they've kind of found their footing, playing than they maybe ever played MLS level. And then Nashville, of course, are unique to everyone, other than Dallas, because they didn't match in the bubble uh, and, and have had the long layoff. So it's a really interesting group because all of these teams, I think, have very specific and kind of unique motivations to the rest of the league in terms of trying to regain form, trying to maintain form, or just trying to establish some form in Nashville. So it's, it's going to be – I mean, I just think it's a unique 
grouping of teams in terms of what those teams are facing contextually at this point in the season. Yeah. One thing about Miami too, that we got to think about, I don't know exactly when they'll get this guy into the squad, but they get blaze Matweedy, uh, yeah. you know, a guy Big that's one. won a world cup uh, to kind of help their midfield. And they desperately needed midfield help yeah. uh, in terms of creativity. So uh, getting him in there is going to be huge. And uh, for them to get him on a TAM deal, too, I believe it's a, it's a TAM deal. Yeah, so it is. He's not even going to be a DP. So they still have that third DP slot open, which is going to be huge uh, for them because you know David Beckham flirts with all these high-profile players. Luis Suarez is a guy that, that you're going to hear a lot of uh, links to Miami over the next few months. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But, yeah, they have different motivations in terms of, you know, they're trying to find that form. Uh, you know, Nashville, as you said, currently playing right now for the first time in a very long time. Yeah, forever. So, uh, so yeah, they're trying to find form. And then Orlando's a team that was their success based on the bubble, based on the situation they were in, or is this what we can expect from them going forward? And they're actually going to be a formidable team that is going to, you know, strike some fear into the rest of the teams in this league. That, that's going to be something to look out for. But if you're Atlanta, I think, you know, Eric, you hit the nail on the head. It's a tough group uh, just in terms of, you know, figuring everything out you, you you have an Orlando team that's very good and has played very well right you know in recent memory and then you've got teams in Miami and Nashville that want to prove something so it, could it have been a harder group probably but yeah. uh good, good for Atlanta to get like not too difficult of a group but still one that's going to provide some challenges I say that that they're in a tough group, but at the same time, based on how Atlanta United, how Atlanta United played, I keep thinking maybe any any group of any group of teams would be a tough group for Atlanta, considering how things have gone so far. Can we yes. spend ten seconds just trolling on Orlando some more? Uh, uh, <laughs> you still don't have a trophy, you losers. Apparently, there was a lawsuit against Orlando City Soccer. Uh, apparent alleged, alleged team paid hacker, not contractor. So I guess a hacker went in. <laughs> And said that they were someone else and got paid for work that he didn't do. And now the actual person that did that work uh, was Joseph is, Martinez. Was no is no longer yeah. It is Joseph Anyways. Martinez. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Orlando, freaking <laughs> hilarious. Uh, all right, tell me where they can find you guys. At Sam at J Franco. Oh, sorry, at Josh B nine one four. Uh, you can find me at Eric G. Cantani. You can find the podcast at MOTS Podcast. Uh, follow us on uh, Instagram and, and Facebook and all that good stuff. Uh, we'll be back next week, hopefully talking about uh, some positive Atlanta United news, maybe some more signings. We'll see. Uh, but any last uh, thoughts for you guys? No? Orlando, right. keep losing. All right. Take it easy, guys. Until next time. See you later, Atlanta. Later.